Hey y'all, welcome back to a Friday, April 8th edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, big show for you guys today. I decided to um, to split up one episode to, to tomorrow's show, so I'm going to be traveling uh, back to Atlanta today. Uh, for some personal matters that um, I'll, I'll probably get into later. Again, on the writing front, probably not in the podcasting front, um, but I will be away. So um, just going to mix up the schedule a little bit in terms of these podcasts. So um, tomorrow you'll get Radio Wyatt. We had a really long, fun interview, uh, former Mississippi State quarterback now, uh, radio host uh, in Mississippi, ESPN Mississippi, and uh, commentator for Mississippi uh, State Bulldogs football and all that good stuff. So we talked about all kinds of stuff, and that will be on uh, tomorrow, Saturday, April 9th show. So that will be the main one so that we're still getting content out uh, every day on uh, on this feed uh, while I'm away for a day uh, from Knoxville. So got that. But don't worry. Today, we've also got the full ride with Matt Green to talk all things college football on this edition. And then my old friend, Mike Pellucci, returns to talk Dallas Mavericks, uh, journalism, magazines, and uh, the Texas Rangers. So uh, fun show today that I think you guys will very much like. Um, don't forget, folks, uh, if you would prefer, guess what? You can watch this very program, youtube.com, type in the Chase Thomas Podcast, uh, hit that subscribe button. Every video that you need about this show, if you prefer to watch it rather than listen, guess what? We got you covered on YouTube, youtube.com, type in the Chase Thomas Podcast, that easy. Um, also, if you are already subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you get your podcast, make sure that you leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you get your podcasts. It helps other people find the show, and it helps this show continue to grow. So please go ahead and hit that pause button. Take care of that today. It takes five seconds, and it helps more than you know. Uh, com. the headquarters. Go check that out if you've not already done so. The Daily Newsletter, yeah, that's going to get more uh, stuff coming out on that front soon. So sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Type in your email. That's simple. Sportsrenaissanceman. That's me. And uh, yeah. All right. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right. The full ride. We are back here on a Thursday afternoon edition here on the full ride on the Chase Thomas podcast where the Masters is going on. Tiger Woods is wearing hot pink. Uh, as I'm watching, right? it's hot pink turtleneck season uh, for Tiger Woods as he's. So back. you have Masters coverage going on right now. Mm-hmm. That's what you see. I'm I'm all I'm all on baseball. Not okay. to interrupt your uh, intro there. Well, that's Matt Green down there in Tequila, Georgia, fellow University of North Georgia alumni. Matt Green. Um, I saw. I'll I'll admit. I saw that you were wearing the Braves, uh, jersey before we got started. So I was like, oh, I'm gonna walk over and get my vintage oh i didn't realize you mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. i thought you i thought we just both had the same idea but uh no fair enough you know do you have a name on the back is or the, is it is it blank sincere. oh andrew jones my guy oh andrew i got P5. i got chipper i got chipper oh, behind me we got the jones yeah. boys in the house yeah um man cunha before the season a, a maddox one okay she's, uh, she's told me she needs a greg maddox one so gotta gotta get on that I, re- I respect the road gray though the road gray is my favorite. Like that's their best uniform. And I just, uh, I wish like one of the things that bothered me most about the Braves uniform changes was that, uh, 
the blue I don't like. It looks like spring training uniforms. I hate when they wear the road blues. It just oh, looks. See, I love them. I had just... the old navy. Uh-huh. I had the old navy, a Hayward jersey. I had a and Schaefer. That didn't really work out. I was like, I just need to go back to an old school. I don't have to worry about a current player leaving teams. Get AJ uh, Andrew Jones is always my favorite player growing up. So there you go. Well, um, we're getting old because his son's about to play in the major leagues. <laughs> right. He's going number one overall next year, which is just uh, crazy. Um, but yeah, no, Acuna starting some some stuff right before the season kicks off. Like incredible, just flames Seriously. casually. But shout out to Acuna, man. I love that he was just like, yeah, this is this is bogus. Like they were wiping off his eye black allegedly and all this stuff. And it's like, ugh. What Acuna's got like I'm interested to see how Braves fans deal with this because Freeman's gone. It would have been more of an issue if Freeman was still here, but to just unload so the were clip. So were we seeing the toned down version of Ronald Acuna with the yellow cleats and yellow uh, elbow pad and everything? Yeah. It's like this guy, he'll be rocking Marcelo Zuna's highlighter stuff pretty soon, I guess. Right. And it's just one of those things where I man, I've I'm not gonna lie, lose I, I lost some respect for Freeman after reading those comments and everything like that's that's lame to yeah i'm not a fan i wasn't sure how to feel about it it's like i'm not just gonna bash freddie after you know decade plus but um this is acuna like i remember he called out acuna like you know appropriately when he was in the playoff the year in the playoffs with the cardinals when he was yeah uh what are you gonna call it pimping the home run that didn't it wasn't a home run um, and only got a single out of it. It's like that. That mm-hmm. made sense. You need to call a, a young guy on something like that. But um, if it's just the overall vibe, they're just like not vibing together. It's like, come on, man. This is the yeah. you're the old face of the franchise. This is the new face. Like kind of how Chipper brought Freddie along. Like that's kind of mm-hmm. your job. But yeah, I, I prefer current Braves players over former Braves players. So I'm I'm all in Acuna's uh, camp here. I can't wait for his first game back because I hope his just I think I hope his like whole face is just painted and <laughs> like I just uh, I want like a full on eye black situation. Um, there you go, Matt Green. We're here to talk college football, though. We uh, we have some college football we need to talk about. But Nigel the Nighthawk, he dropped some some news items for us before we get into our main event where we'll talk about uh, the the need or lack thereof of divisions and conferences and college football going forward, which I know you'll have some takes on and uh, I'm interested to get your perspective on where I'm coming from with this, but starting off, Bob Bowlesby uh, retired this week. Um, he will not officially leave until a new big 12 commissioner is named a couple of names. Oliver luck has the best agent of any um, guy who's looking for a job ever because this man's name pops up first for any kind of big executive job. Um, obviously, he's with the XFL for a little bit and that did not go well. Um, but um, history with West Virginia, the guy is everywhere. Is he on the playoff committee? I don't know. Wouldn't surprise me. Um, Oliver Luck, of course, the father of Andrew Luck is top of the list, but uh, I didn't see Condoleezza Rice's name there. So I don't think she's in the running for uh, the Big 12 commissioner's job. But it is interesting to see where they'll go because there's been a lot of a lot of change in the commissioner front where it's like suddenly Craig Sankey is like the leader and has been there the longest, I think, because Jim Phillips just went to the ACC. Kevin Warren's only been there a couple of years now at the Big Ten. And obviously uh, the Pac-12 just hired their new guy from uh, the agent world. What's his name? Klivia Koff or something? I, I, I'm i not sure. It's like George Cliff, whatever it, it is. I, I apologize. Exactly. I don't have it in front of me, but. Um, a lot of change on that front uh, in recent years. But Bowlesby, of course, 
got kind of like he was kind of dunked on last year over the situation that happened with OU in Texas. Um, just kind of ha- seeing the rug get pulled out from under him. I feel bad for him because that's like going to be the lasting memory of the Bulls be Big 12 era where it's like he just got completely blindsided by the 80s at uh, Oklahoma and Texas and they went behind his back and everything else to uh, join the SEC and um, you know there's still all kinds of stuff about like the SEC and ESPN and the how this all went down and we'll probably never know the truth with what happened there but it happened and now the Big 12 is forever changed and we will never look at the Big 12 the same because they lost their two biggest brands and that's on him ultimately to get bombed like that and to allow something like that to happen was just, it, it's a bummer. Cause I, I, I imagine he couldn't get over something like that, or I would not be able to get over something like that because the big 12 really fell apart on his watch. Like that's his memory. I, I feel bad. Cause I, I don't know the guy personally, but that's just what will associate his time in the big 12, I think. Right. Yeah. Without a doubt. Um, it's, it's easily the biggest thing that happened. It's like mm-hmm. with Nebraska leaving the conference also like it's, they were obviously one of the big brands when they did that, but it's like, they've been so irrelevant for so long. It's no one even really remembers that. I actually went back. So like the big 12 that me and you know that mm-hmm. what it was when we were growing up, like there's six, there's going to be six teams left from that conference. Hmm. That's it. Oklahoma State, Baylor, Texas Tech, uh, who is it? Kansas, Kansas State, and Iowa State. Like, that's mm-hmm. it. Like, that's not a Power Five conference, mm-hmm. you know? Like, that's a couple of good brands. Obviously, you're, you, they brought in since uh, they brought in West Virginia and they brought in TCU since then, but those are just more solid brands. And now we're bringing in Cincinnati, BYU, UCF who am I Houston? Mm -hmm. Like we're just bringing in a bunch of solid, maybe together all of these solid programs and solid athletic departments will, you know, be a very good and entertaining at the end of the day. That's what's most important. If it's an entertaining conference, like that can produce some legitimate contenders. That's, that's all that happens. That's all they need at the end of the day. I don't know which of those teams it's going to be, but um, it, it's it's very interesting. Like that's obviously what Bowlesby's legacy is going to be. The guy who let OU and Texas get away. Like that's just such that's just such a huge thing. Like you can't ignore that. But um, you ha- you have to think with this timing of it, he just didn't want to be part of the new Big Twelve, right? Like mm-hmm. he's, he's gave the the answers you're supposed to give. Like I'll I'll be a part of whatever the new commissioner wants me to do, whatever capacity, you know. Like he gave those answers he had to give, but um, you would think he just doesn't want to be a part of that conference. And on an, on another level, I wonder how this is going to impact the playoff expansion because mm. he seemed to be one of the bigger proponents of playoff expansion. And at a at a, a platform like the Big Twelve Commissioner, like you can potentially get that done. Now I don't know. Like I'm. I'm okay. Like I understand the people that are like four teams is just it's ru- it's not enough or whatever to actually you know make a difference. I can't I can't understand anyone who is wanting to go back to the BCS. I just I can't understand that. I just I'm only in favor of like expansion to six or eight. Like it's just the college football regular season is just so great. Like we don't have to get on that whole conversation right now. But I wonder how 
how Bowlesby, like who comes in and who can just have the the cachet to 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 make an expansion happen. You know, it's like at the end of the day, the SEC is king. So whatever they're going to have to be behind whatever sort of plan there is. Well, I don't think we're getting six or eight because I don't think Sankey's going to sign off on that. Like, I think Sankey is he if he sees he doesn't see a reason to expand right now because he's like he just saw two of his teams play in the NCAA championship game anyway this year. It's like, no, we can get two teams in every year. Like, that's fine. But if we go to 12, we can get four or five. Like the way he's thinking, it's like there is a lot. Sankey, the biggest thing he was his biggest hold up, if I'm remembering correctly, Mm -hmm. was the automatic qualifier. Yeah, I think he'd be down. He'd be down for six, eight. Like he just knows you put more teams. It's going to be more SEC teams. Yeah. Unless you have that automatic qualifier that's preventing more SEC teams from, which is what you should do because, sorry, go ahead. Well, I mean that's what it should be. Like the idea that we shouldn't have automatic qualifiers to make sure that we get representation around the country to ensure that the college football playoff is not watched by only folks in the southeast. Like him to push back against that, I I don't really understand that line of thinking because it's like the SEC is going to win those games anyway, or like win by and large a lot of those games. I don't really understand the hesitancy to um, make sure that you're getting folks from all over the country to tap in. Like you imagine if Mark, like part of March madness is you have folks from all over the country. You have fans who like St. Peter's people, like they're not watching March madness, generally speaking, but they're all tuned in because their team um, advanced and were represented there. And there's automatic qualifiers for March madness so that you get, everybody and it gets people to develop brackets from all over the country but if you have if you get, don't have automatic qualifiers and you have a seven or eight team uh situation one year where there's six or seven worthy sec teams to make the playoff it's like that's not good for the sport like that doesn't help but things. i don't i don't imagine a scenario of that ever happening right, right. Like, i feel like it's i just don't think it's a good enough reason to withhold expansion like if that's your but, hold up is the automatic qualifiers here, like i mean you think in 2020 if they had a 16 playoff like a&m is getting into that playoff you mm-hmm. know like as the fifth team <clears throat> sitting there on the outside looking in mm-hmm. so i can understand the people who want art automatic qualifiers but i think i think the playoff committee is already going to you know have some bias towards automatic qualifiers that it's not really going to be a thing but if four of the best eight teams in the country are pl- happen to be playing in the southeast and shoot mm. it's usually more than that because you're including acc teams too so it's like I, I just i don't i don't feel like we need we don't necessarily need like the tv thing to justify like the tv money and the ratings to mm. justify like getting the best teams that's that's what we need at the end of the day is just getting the best teams and I think four has done done that more than the two team BCS era did, but that's but, fair. Yeah, so I'm 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 curious to see you know with Bowles be gone, you know, kind of who who carries the torch for playoff expansion. If you know, I think Sankey's it's Kevin Warren over here. Like Sankey's like, yeah, you want more teams? I'm down for more teams, but it needs to be worth our while because right now with the four bet with, with just picking the top four, we're still getting two SEC teams anyway while other conferences are being left out but you know it is what it is it it just means more right it does just mean more i don't know we'll see i think expansion is coming no matter what i just think that they're like i think in 2025 is when it's happening it's just college football moves slowly and i think it will just i'm not concerned i think that's where it's going and i 
I don't like the middle ground that we're in right now where it's like we're we're still pretending that bowl season's the same and bowl season's fine. And it's just I would rather just rip off the bandaid at this point where it's like if you're not going back to the BCS and all the bowl games mattering, then just rip the bandaid off and let's just go full playoff and really make this thing uh, FCS type deal. Um, next up, though. So Kenny Dillingham, longtime OC around uh, the Southeast. He was uh, Norvell staff in Tallahassee this past year. He was Gus Malzahn, OC. He's been in a lot of different stops, but he got pulled um, to Oregon to join your old friend, Dan Lanning. Um, he had a really interesting point. And this is something that I, the reason I put this on our list is because I remember when we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago, uh, maybe it was last week, two weeks ago, about our five most intriguing teams. And we were talking about USC and um, uh, Utah and Oregon and just like the future of the Pac-12. And something that I think we talked about was just that like Oregon really has been the bet, like the highest upside team in the Pac-12. Utah has been the most consistent, but Oregon has proven themselves to be the highest upside. And obviously you have the Phil Knight money and just what they're doing there over a decade. Like it's sustainable. What they're doing is weird because it's not like the what everybody else is doing. Crystal Ball was doing something different than uh previous coaches. They brought in Willie Taggart. They were changing things up. They were like, we're adopting a more southern football mindset. And it's interesting to hear Dillingham talk about this where he said, quote, this is the only place west of Texas that has a mindset of the South when it comes to football. So I ask you, do you think that's an that's an that's actually a hindrance to competing on a national scale. Does, do they need that same mindset in 2022 to compete with the big boys and to continue to get back? Because I mean, the Pac-12, you can't overlook the fact that they have been left of the playoff how many years in a row now that they have not participated. I, I want to say Washington four or five years. 2015, 2016, yeah, some, something like that. Yeah, so it's been a while. And I wonder how much of that has to do with just the resource uh, management that they're doing and the resource allocation uh, in the outside of West of Texas, rather. So what do you well, think of that? It depends on what you mean by mindset. If mm. it's Because it's like the SEC doesn't have the Southern football mindset anymore of, well, you, I'll give you, you the full quote. the rock and play defense. Like that's even kind of, well, I'll give you the full quote. As much as it once was, but if terms of just like people who, eat, sleep, and breathe football and won mm. a national championship football program and expect a national championship program and tailgate all day and just are all just exactly what I said, essentially, just breathe college football. Like if that's what he means, then it feels like there are so few Pac-12 programs that kind of have that culture. And that's kind of mm. what I took from it. It's like, it's like we go through the SEC and there's 10 programs that expect to be perennial contenders and it's like well i don't know if you guys know how how games work but we can't there can't be 10 teams competing there probably can't be five or six competing every year so someone's got to beat somebody and i feel like everything you described i feel like to me it kind of made it all that more frustrating for why oregon hasn't been able to just take the pac 12 by you know by the throat you know like they they especially while usc has been down like they just, we know everything they have when it comes to the Nike, the facilities, just Phil Knight influencing everything. And then if you also have that culture, because I didn't really, I didn't think about what was said in this article about kind of so few good college towns being in the Pac-12. Like, obviously there's there's Boulder and 
I think they named a couple more that are like good college towns, but they just don't have the consistent football programs. Like you see everywhere in the SEC, it's a college town and mm-hmm. a elite football program. So I, I, I didn't I didn't necessarily uh, think about that with Washington being in Seattle and USC being in LA. It definitely feels like an advantage that Oregon has going for them. So it's like they just have all these advantages. And then the, the powerhouse, the big brand in that conference has been down for four or five years. Like, I, I like Dan Lanning, what I'm hearing from Dan Lanning and, and Tosh Lupoy and like this, this staff with kind of Southern roots. I just feel like it is not getting easier to, to dominate the Pac-12 with, with USC and Lincoln Riley kind of on the rise. Well, let me give you the full quote. So he said, quote, this place cares about football. I say this, this is, I, this is a weird way. I say this is the only place west of Texas that has a mindset of the South when it comes to football, Dillingham told Yahoo. Quote, this is a Southern school. When it comes to football and when it comes to sports, it's a true college town that can win championships. And if you're out West, this is the only real college town that can win championships. It's pretty cool. This is like full on shots fired at USC at this point, right? That's a full on shots fired situation. And Washington. I think it's just, it's pointing out that we're a college town. USC isn't because that feels more like a qualifier. Like Hmm. we're the best, we're the best team uh, in the, in the pac 12. That's in a college town. Like you gotta (laughs) like, you're not like you, you felt like you took a, an effort to not like make it a direct jab at USC. Like, cause I think that is something they have. And I wonder, I've said that before. Like I just, I still wonder how much pro football in Los Angeles does hurt USC's brand. And in, in terms of being like that, that Hollywood superstar football team, like it, they felt like a professional team and Matt Leiner and Reggie Bush were there, you know? So I wonder of like, uh, you're, we got, we got the Rams, we got the chargers, like, we don't, we don't really need another football team. Like, if you guys aren't good, we're not going to watch. But it, it, it's L.A. If they are good, they probably will come out. And you'll see Will Ferrell and Snoop Dogg at games <laughs> and all that stuff. So, I don't know. It'll be interesting. There you go. Um, one final thing before we get into our main event segment this week on The Full Ride, Matt Green. So, I love Mike Leach stories. And Brent Venables, I've learned uh, since he's taken over as head coach. Because, like, assistants don't talk before they get head coaching jobs. You never see interviews or you just like, have you even heard from Todd Monken since he uh, came OC at uh, UGA? Dan Lanning is just a guy in the shadows for years in Athens. Um, and I wish this, they would too, because specifically yeah. about Monken, like the college football playoff is the first time you heard him talk. And mm-hmm. I think all Georgia fans heard him talk about Stetson Bennett and they're like, Oh, okay. That makes <laughs> sense. That's what we've been waiting on Curry smart to say for three months. Yeah, it's a weird control thing for I, I know a lot of college coaches do not want their assistants talking. So, yeah, I don't know. It's a it's a weird rule, but it is what it is. Um, But there used to be, man, this staff back in the day for Bob Stoops at OU. So what I was saying was like Brent Venables is uh he's going to be a fun quote guy. Like he's got some Mike Gundy in him uh, that I did not know that he had in him because uh, we just hadn't heard him speak at Clemson for uh, the years he was there so i had no idea what this guy was like personality wise he's funny and uh he's energetic high energy all that kind of stuff and he told this story about the first time mark mangino and mike leach met uh at ou when they were on uh, uh stoop staff this was the year before they won the national title and apparently like mangino wanted to run this power 
scheme, power eye scheme. Like his and, bread and butter. Yeah. And he like was telling Leach about all this and Leach doesn't say much. And then uh, Leach essentially, I'm paraphrasing here, is like, that's all great. You can practice it all you want, but I'm not calling any of that <laughs> crap at like the game. And it was hilarious. And he was like, yeah, so the first day didn't go well between uh, Leach and Angina. But I, I love that story. He's like, yeah, you can practice the power eye and all that kind of fun stuff that you want to do that ground and down. But I'm not calling any of that like. <laughs> So you're just wasting yeah, your time. Awesome. And you, especially someone like Mike Leach too. Mm-hmm. Like this, this is who this guy's always been. He's just, he's going to tell you what's on his mind. I feel like um, Brent Venables is like the opposite of like what I've experienced with people on radio that you listen mm-hmm. to on radio for years, but you don't actually know what they look like. And you're like, oh, wow. I had no idea. Like you've mm-hmm. seen like, Brent Venables for years and I don't know what I was expecting him to sound like, but, but that was not it. That was yeah. not what I was expecting him to sound. Exactly. I think Lanning's exactly what I expected to sound like. Um, it just it, it's interesting who comes out. Muschamp was definitely someone. It's like when he was the assistant at uh, Texas, and it was like I feel like I have a, a pretty good idea of what he's going to sound like as a head coach. I think I'm going to know what uh, Muschamp and Orgeron are going to sound like when they get the the head job. Um, do we still need conferences, Matt Green? So this is this is where I wanted to really hit on today because this is something that I've been thinking about um, this off season and that pod scheduling is coming. And I remember there was a really good piece today in the athletic about Arkansas football and when they moved from the Southwest conference to the sec and what that meant in terms of changing the program. And they don't like, they took a more difficult path. Like if Arkansas has been in the big 12 for the last like 25 years, just think about how differently we look at them. Um, but they took a harder road. Like the SEC is just a tough road for a lot of programs that aren't named Alabama, Georgia, Florida, whoever, LSU. Um, and I wonder just like, is something that would maybe help the health of these, of college football going forward as these conferences get bigger and bigger. And, um, we keep, we have all this movement and we're frustrated that with how big these conferences are teams still don't play each other enough. Like they're still, who is it that Georgia still hasn't gone on the, like they haven't played at Texas A&M yet. Georgia hasn't played at A&M. Yeah. Yeah. So conference for a decade. Right. So it's like, if we're going to bring back the value next year, either. Yeah. So it's like to bring back the value of conferences, I think something that will help things going forward as we move to a playoff format um, and the expansion of the playoff, I just can't escape that. Like, I don't think we need divisions anymore from my perspective where it's like, I think pods all around college football would be beneficial, even out of conference pods, like kind of what the Alliance is with big 10 ACC. And um, so are you saying kind of how NFL sets up their schedule where the entire NFC South plays the AFC East one year? That correct. See, that's where I'm at. The NFL is able to do something like that. I just, I feel like the biggest thing college has going for it over pros, other than just the stadiums and like the, the passion of the fans, mm. which I think is kind of intertwined in this, is just the, the tradition and mm. the regional rivalries. So as unfair as it is for Auburn to play Alabama and Georgia every single season, I think you're going to lose so much of college football if Georgia, if Auburn is not playing Georgia and Alabama every single season. Like, well, I mean, you make caveats, right? Like there's, it, it, I will promote you as czar to ensure that we don't lose the games that matter that need to not be affected 
by the pod scheduling. And I think there's a way to do that and include both to preserve the rivalries, but also shake things up and move things around a little bit so that there is more diversity on the schedule. You get rid of the cupcake games. Like those are gone. Like you get that's rid of that. That's what I was going to say. That's, that's mm-hmm. the number one solution that I don't feel like people want to talk about. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, that's going to ruin college football at multiple levels, but it's like, well, you know, it's not really FBS's job to fund these football programs. If yeah. you're, if you're waiting on one check from, Alabama, it's, like it's not George's entire program yeah. then you don't have a legitimate program you know mm-hmm. so but you're also yeah. not competing with them anyway it's like you're yeah. playing the g like it's a different league all and it's, it's just a waste of time like it's a waste of time exactly so you talk about <clears throat> what you could do with you know three saturdays a year potentially like some teams are actually going in and scheduling the big time power five matchups and we obviously have those those locked rivalries like florida florida state and georgia georgia tech and stuff like that but just opening it up to like power five playing power five, that's the first solution right off the bat. Mm-hmm. That you're just going to see more of these matchups if we're no longer playing. And I mean, someone like Missouri who doesn't have that. I mean, they, they do have Kansas, which was, was a long rivalry. Hate the border war tradition of the border, the border war, war man. But um, yeah, it was good one year. <laughs> it yeah. was a 2007. But it, it meant it. It didn't mean anything to us, but it meant a lot That's to fair. Kansas and Mizzou fans. Like That's that was fair. one of those the backyard brawl with Pitt and West Virginia. Like that meant a lot to that area. And since Missouri has lost that game, they're scheduling four cupcakes essentially every year at a conference. Yeah, they're hardly scheduling any. Like they had Boston College this past year and lost because they actually played a, a respectable Power Five mm. program at a conference. So I think that's the first step. You still have to have the conferences because the, the conference championships mean so much. I know, I guess if you're saying, if you're not having automatic qualifiers, mm-hmm. then, you know, it's not the most important thing. But like people love to, to downplay the importance of the SEC championship last year because Georgia lost and won the national championship. But Alabama also doesn't get in the playoff and they don't get to the national championship game without the SEC championship. So well, that goes out the door if we expand the playoffs anyway. I mean, I guess that's true, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I think, I guess, uh, yeah, if you're, if you're expanding the playoff, you still need the conference. You, you need the conference title game for, we're already saying all these pointless bowl games, right? Yeah. And everything like, then we're going to get to the point where it's a pointless playoff playoff game. It's like, oh well, yeah, you were in the round 12. That doesn't really mean anything. Like, I don't think we'll get no there though, because I think accomplishments. those like at least like obviously Saban doesn't need any trophies, you know, to mm-hmm. help appease the fans. But if that was another program other than Alabama last year, say it was Texas A&M, like you won the SEC last year. No, you mm-hmm. didn't win the college football playoff, but like it's at least a tangible trophy of success, something you accomplished. So I don't know. I struggle with getting rid of conference championships. I, I, I just think those, and even some of those, like good traditional games that you don't even consider like an actual rivalry. Like I think at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, Georgia and Tennessee is not an official rivalry, right? Like it's not like if you go to the college football hall of fame and it's showing the, the rivalries like Mm. in uh, NCAA football video game, like Tennessee's actual rivals. I don't think Georgia was one of them, but imagine Georgia and Tennessee playing a season without playing each other. Like that's just, you can't do that. And if, if, if Georgia, if you're only having a few locked games, like Georgia has to play Florida, they have to play Auburn, have to play Georgia tech, which I'm kind of getting, <laughs> I'm less and less with that every year, honestly. Um, 
but it's the Jim Cheney Bowl this year. Like South Georgia isn't South Carolina isn't Georgia's biggest rival, but yeah, Georgia feels like one of South Carolina's biggest rivals, especially in the conference with you know being in state with a with a different conference team. So Tennessee is one of those games that's that's gonna get knocked off, like an LSU Auburn game that's just like such an amazing rivalry. It's like well if you're actually establishing who LSU's locked rivals are, you probably, you know, go maybe Alabama, maybe, maybe Arkansas with the golden boot, right? Maybe Texas A&M. So it's like, you're going to lose some of these great traditional rivalries. I feel like with this pod type thing, I don't know. There's, there is a way to do it. We just got to get these big conferences playing each other in the regular season. I feel like that's, that's the best start, but Without a pod to make it happen, it's it's a tough thing to legislate. It's like when they talk about like, oh, because college football attendance was bad again this year. And I'm like, well, I mean, it's hard to get up for Bowling Green on a Thursday night. It's hard to get up yeah. for the you're burning games like the NFL doesn't do this. There's not like we're going to play uh, the Arena Football League two to three weeks this season just to get tuned up for the regulars. No, you don't do that. Like that's not something that happens in other sports where it's like the, it's just, it's a waste of everybody's time. And if ticket prices are going up and it's like a whole thing to just go to these games, it's like, you're just burning opportunities. So like you said, I think that's priority one for these schools is that like, I understand that it helps those, the Kent States where I remember reading a piece where it's like that game, that buying game against like Ohio state or something like pays, it's a, a crazy amount of money uh, to their athletic program and everything else that they're doing. I understand all that. I think, but that's still not Bama, Ohio. I think Bama, Georgia State was the biggest one ever. Yeah, say, like two and a half, three million or something like that. Right. And that's still not Bama's job, though. And it's still yeah. like the the job now is because it's still about the fans first. Like the fans first. And if I'm a Kent State fan, like, why do I want to go watch this game anyway? So it's not like they're getting anything out of this. They would rather watch Maction, right? Like Maction's cool because it's Mac teams who have a level playing field playing against each other. Um, and where people yeah, you're are almost rooting for your team, ironically. Like, yes. Going into the horseshoe, like, mm-hmm. hey, watch out, guys. You know, and maybe you see like the craziest upset in NCAA history, but it's probably not going to happen. Right, like no Georgia Southern fan or alum is like going to Athens, like pulling for his Eagles to beat Georgia. Because like if you grew up like a Georgia fan, like and you went to Southern, it's not hey, like they almost did. Fears they did. Back. I went to overtime. Was that Jabo Shaw? Too. I want to say Marshall. Was it Mike Nugent? Was that the, the Ohio State kicker that was so good? Had mm-hmm. like a fifty yarder to beat Marshall one year. Like that had to be a long time ago. Yeah, probably like oh two, oh three. Mm-hmm. Okay. But yeah, um, so occasionally something crazy will happen, but like it's not really it's yeah, it's either pay fifty dollars for you know cheap ticket to see Arkansas State or two hundred and fifty dollars for the for the cheapest price for the cheapest ticket to get in versus Kentucky or something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like there's just there's like no th- those are the only affordable tickets, really, and because the games really don't mean anything. Yeah, and I just it's such an obvious one. So I think if you're not going to get rid of divisions, then you need to get rid of those buying games. Like that is something with 2022. When when you say divisions, do you mean conferences in general? Are you saying, no, I'm saying divisions in it West, like SEC East and West. Like we don't need to do that anymore where it's like, we don't actually need that. And then the conference championship games are the two best teams in the conference where it's like a lot of years, the SEC West has the two best teams 
in previous uh, seasons. Or like think about the Big Ten. Think about how much of a joke it is that the Big Ten East and West all like have to play each other in the year. Where it's like Northwestern is in the Big Ten title game, and they're like the fifth best team in the Big Ten no, because that is, the- that's definitely true. I just don't know how you have a better way to qualify for the conference championship. Like if that's what the biggest thing I worry about with this pods system Mm -hmm. is. So this team goes three and over their pod. They go three and over first their pod. They go three and over their pod. And none of these teams have played the same teams. Like who are we putting in the SEC championship? Like I don't probably point differential, right? Like that's probably where I would start margin of victory. That's where we're going with it. It's like, that does not seem like a, a good idea at all. Like at least like, there's just no argument. Like I know 2007, is one of Georgia's like biggest what if seasons, right? Mm-hmm. Lost to South Carolina and Tennessee early. And then by the end of it, Georgia was the best team in the SEC East, but they lost head to head to Tennessee. So as much mm-hmm. as you want to complain about it, it's like, well, the team that's in the conference championship game owns the tiebreaker because they beat us head to head. And you just, you can't really argue about that. So I wonder about how the tiebreaker type situations are going to work if they go to any sort of pod scheduling, but it's definitely true. Like your, your premise is, is accurate. Like, I just don't know what the solution is because the big 10 East and the, the sec West are, are just clearly the two best two two most lopsided divisions of any conference in the country. Like ideally you said big 10, not sec, right? Say that again. You said big 10 East and West, right? Big 10 East and SEC yes. West. Yeah. 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 So like, ideally every conference would be like the big 12 was set up. The mm-hmm. last few years and it, we just go round robin everyone play nine regular season games and then if you could also have three power five games uh mixed that's a in great there, schedule yeah that's a great schedule exactly and maybe you determine it has to be an sec maybe one year it's sec team well see the conference teams are just so not the same you can go you can say okay everyone in the nfc south is playing everyone in the afc east obviously the bills were better than the dolphins but mm-hmm you know, the NFL just changes so much like that same with, with Georgia and Alabama and, you know, Vanderbilt and Kentucky all being SEC teams. And it's not exactly the same thing. So I, I, I just don't know the solution to the, to what you're proposing. I just think you have to make changes and you have to continue to evolve and adapt where it's like, you can't just sit on your hands when attendance is going down. And you're like, okay, how do you need to be going after this? And what we learned, like people, we learned a lot about the pandemic. We learned that there is no reason to go to the office anymore. Uh, the office is out. Like we're, we're good on the office forever. Um, you can be just as productive at home and you don't have to sit like you and I were Atlanta locals, like wasting time in traffic. There's no reason to sit to burn two hours of your day in traffic. Um, there's just no reason it's bad for the bad for the soul. So if you're in Atlanta, place and you're like hey like it's just it's horrific for your soul like knoxville is just being out of traffic is an incredible feeling um but you need to work to figure this out like this is a growing problem and when you like that what i was saying with the pandemic was that like it sucked not having fans in games and that season was weird however what we did learn was that you can schedule these games on the fly they can do bonkers numbers. People love BYU Coastal. And it was also, we love that we just like week one, we're just doing Old Miss versus like, who did they even play week one? It was somebody, it was like Arkansas they, or something. They have opened with Florida. 
maybe it was Florida. That's right. It was Florida. And you're like, oh, this is early September and we're just diving into we're this playing thing. football. Already. Yeah. And it was like, what a novel idea to not just waste opportunities to get people excited about your product every week instead of just being like, hey, I guess we can get married this weekend because this is the one weekend or this is a weekend where I don't have to watch my team play because it's a waste of time. Like it's a bummer to watch UTC Chattanooga or Tennessee tech come into not like that game last year when they came into Neil and we just beat the living hell out of them. It was like, what are we doing here? I was on the couch. I was sick that day. I remember very clearly that I was like, I'm glad I'm sick. Cause I wouldn't have gone anyway, but like it, it, it's just, what are we doing? No other sport does this. There's no other sport that wastes time like this and just, hasn't evolved with the times where it's like no you need to be focused on how do we make this better for our fans because you added an il you have the portal it's impossible for the casual fan to keep up with college football now like that's out the door like with the portal with nil no one has any idea where anybody is anymore like matt if you had to ask like even your friends who you think keep up with college football you were like hey uh who's the quarterback right now at washington they're gonna be like uh i don't know you're like michael Penix. Uh, yeah, that was way more specific than i was thinking i was but like where's bo nicks what, what yeah. conference is memphis in so yeah oh uh, i don't i don't know right and you're like you just tell them you're like oh so who's wait what where's who what and it's just that's we do this every day and i do this as my job so like i have to be on top of it but like this is a problem. Like it's good for the players. Like Jermaine Johnson is a first round pick because he got out of Georgia and didn't have to sit. Like he was the ACC defensive player of the year this past year. The portal works like burrow doesn't become number one overall has the run without it. So like I'm pro portal, but there are consequences, which is that it's increasingly more difficult for college football fans to get attached to guys. Cause they're nervous. That they're going to dip into the portal when they're facing it. Like part of the appeal of college football early, almost like I get four guys, four years with this guy, potentially at least three yeah. where like, I, mean, I get feels this like your college allegiance. Like, yes. That's your, that's your team. Like, a mm-hmm. pro, like a, a pro player that played for four teams. Like yeah, who who does he root for after his career's over? Like, and now I mean, we're getting that with college, where it's like a k- kids played at four different stops because he's transferred yeah, twice. Jalen and he's a great... Alabama way more than I've ever seen him rep Oklahoma. Well, we're gonna have that because it's like JT will be at stop three. Um, who's his team? Like, who is he? A USC guy, Georgia guy? Like, what is his memory? <laughs> like, if, if he goes to Mizzou, is he just a Mizzou guy? Like, it's just yeah, that's where we're gonna go, and I think that hurts college football. So. I think two things can be true. We don't have, we can be pro player, but also understand that like it's bad for the fans. Like this is a bad development for casual fans and for folks who want to keep up with their team and know what's going on with their team. Or like I have, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I've just had a lot of conversations with college football fans where they're like, I just, I don't know what's going on. Like it just, there's a lot of, I don't know what's going on anymore. And it's a lot of change very quickly. And the NCAA has themselves to blame because they allowed this to happen. They allowed it to be an avalanche. They didn't prepare for it. They've had decades to prepare for this. And instead they just did it all at once. And now it's just a mess. Like it's just a mess. And I think it definitely is. But one, I know one bullet point you had um, Mm. written down was about increasing, improving parity. Yeah. And I'm just not sure how it, improves parity you know I well, feel if arkansas like, doesn't have to play alabama lsu and whoever every year so, but does that make arkansas's record better or does that make arkansas a better team hmm. you know i feel like it's kind of it's almost pseudo parody right it's like hmm. well penn state if we didn't have to play michigan and ohio state all the time <laughs> our record would be way better okay that doesn't mean you're actually better so yeah 
it's tough. Like college football is in this really weird position of a regional sport that wants to be a national sport, almost a regional sport that's pretending to be a national sport. Like, yeah, I mean, um, I'm blanking on uh, Dillingham uh, on his Kenny Dillingham. Game. Yeah. But he's I mean, to, to call Oregon a southern type of city in, in northwest of the United States, it's it's because we all know what he means by that and how big football is in the Southeast that mm. like college football, I should say specifically, it's just, it's a different breed down here. So we're constantly doing things to, or it seems like we're trying to do things to increase the the national interest in the game. Mm. But if on the, on the West coast, they're just not that big into football. Like you can't just make Arizona state be a big time football program. You know what I mean? It's like they have to they have to want that for themselves. And it seems like everyone in the Southeast wants it. So mm-hmm. it, and, and especially in Big Ten country, like they're all about some some college football. Are There's we sure Vandy wants team. it? Are we sure? Are we sure Vandy wants it? Vandy doesn't want it. Exactly. That, they're the one exception for sure. Like, Are we I sure Georgia Tech wants fans, it? I'm shocked every time I like argue with Kentucky fans about <laughs> Uh, football on Twitter. Kentucky like, fans are out of their mind. You guys cared that much, like. Well, they've so, been consistent. They've been consistent for too long. And shout out to our friend of the pod, Graham Coffee, because I, I I sent him a little gif uh, when he was talking about uh, the Wildcats and like they're not going anywhere. And I was like, I no one in Tennessee is concerned about Kentucky. Like they're we own Kentucky. Like no one Georgia yeah. Kentucky. Like Georgia Florida has owned Kentucky even more than tennessee has like florida just lost them for the first time in over 20 years like it was like wasn't it like 30 years i think it was 30 yeah where it's like yeah absurd like kentucky's fine but they're like florida tennessee and georgia are not shaking in their boots about the consistency of kentucky that it's not real it's not a real thing but Mm -hmm. but you just look at the where the the consistent you know contenders are in college football it's like they're all in this same little cluster and then obviously you got you know michigan and notre dame and, and ohio state up in the the midwest and the north and then you got mm. usc out like they're the only one like that's why we've because of our national obsession that's why everyone has just been craving for oregon to to take a take a stranglehold on the pac-12 but they just they just haven't and so i just i struggle to to care that much about parody in college football when you know these these certain programs aren't really doing they're not taking the necessary steps to to be good programs so it, it's a tough conversation because college football is like college basketball and like most sports i guess some more than others with the top heavy teams with the most resources the most traditions tend to dominate every sport you know college football is probably more so than others but um, it, it's hard to just to just make UCLA good at good at football, right? It's like yeah. they, they used to be good at Chip football. Chip Kelly's figuring that out, but, but they they don't. It's 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 tougher, easier said than done. Well, Cleesey the dog is ready for her walk, so I guess this is where we end on today's podcast, Matt, because she's about to jump up on me. But I I'm glad we had this conversation because I think these are what the off season. Um, things that we have to consider as college football fans that I think are important. Um, Cause we got a lot of college football folks that listen to this very program. And I, I don't know. I just, I like getting your perspective on this and I think it's important for us to kind of like, I'll think about this while I'm on my run or something. And then I want to like, does this make sense? Is this something that makes sense? And then I want to run it by you because you're the college football vault. So uh, our Braves open up tonight, which, 
Yeah, and uh, the Braves open up tonight. Very excited about that with the Reds, the big red machine uh, yeah, tonight. Winning World Series champs rocking those gold uh, yeah. jerseys. I'm real, and you saw the uh, the Stetson Bennett tribute they have on the. Uh, on I the don't have to see there. that. Yeah, I don't. Have to I guess there. you saw that though, right? The IV for the. I didn't. Was that what oh, that was? Have, yeah, they have IV on the sleeve. It's I guess the Braves' fourth championship in okay. franchise history, which. Hmm. It's hard to keep track of the Braves franchise history. The yeah, are we going back because it's like Milwaukee eaters. and yeah. yeah, like they're like I don't count those or something. I, I don't count they those because they they yeah. rep, there's that sign in the stadium that says like longest continuously operating franchise in MLB history. That it feels lame. like a qualifier there too. Like this is technically the same franchise, but but yeah. So I'm excited to see the Bravos. You know, Max Freed on the mound. So uh, so good stuff. There you go. Uh, go Jordan Spieth. I'm a big Spieth guy. Uh, we don't, I haven't talked masters in this podcast yet, but tiger, obviously you want to see tiger do well as Khaleesi, the dog jumps up on here. Um, all right, we're going for a walk in just a second. Give me a second as I wrap up. Um, but yeah, so we'll see. Are you, are you going for anybody in particular? Are you going to watch it? You're going to go tiger. Um, what are you doing? I'm honestly, I, I, I couldn't care much less about, about the wow. masters. Like it's, it's wow uh, if i've been to augusta i'd probably feel differently people talk mm-hmm. about it people i've never been talk about it like it's this holy grail yeah um i don't know it just doesn't do much for me i'm a buddy of mine that worked at uh it was a head chef at the manor that i worked at uh, mm-hmm. he's like personal chef for uh dustin johnson so huh. i root for uh for dustin that's johnson, a good place to be in man i want to get there chef so. mike so i got you i think after i get my name on the nesbitt building uh, a few years from now at the university of North Georgia, I think next stop is a personal chef. Like that would be so clutch to just yeah. have someone. He actually um, picked the menu for like the meal for like huh. Dustin Johnson's like master's meal. Like he, he picked <laughs> that out. Like it's that's cool. when you know you made it. You have people picking out your meals for you. Yeah. Um, no, kidding. no kidding. Incredible. You'll Matt be there Green. one day. I think so. I think so. Matt Green on Twitter, Matt underscore W underscore Green. Go give him a follow there. And uh, we'll be back next week. Yes, sir. All right, we're back here on the Chase Stones Podcast, where old friend Mike Pellucci is here. Is that an R2-D2 t-shirt, sir? You damn skippy. You damn mm-hmm. skippy. I didn't know I was on camera. See, it's been a long time since I've been on. Mm-hmm. There are technological advances. I would, mm-hmm. Had I known, I would have gotten the whole suit out for my long-awaited Comeback. Uh, would you have to deal with R two D two? Would you have gone suit with a a bigger heads up? Okay. Uh, I I don't know what I would have done, but I think okay. I might have considered the the wardrobe more than R two D two. Not that R two deserves any shade. Right. Of the Republic saved the galaxy <laughs> numerous times. Yeah. But I might have, I might have thought about it a little more than I did. It's, it's a good reminder that I need to do Mandalorian. I did the first episode of Boba Fett, and I was like, "This is a really boring show," and I'm out. This no, is Boba, not Boba Fett's bad, but Mandalorian yeah. is great. Okay. So maybe I need to. You gotta do I that. probably picked the wrong one. I started with yeah. Boba Fett, which yeah. is a bad one. No, Boba Fett's trash. <laughs> so, but, but it, it is, it is. I can't believe they made a whole show about like the failed son of Star Wars, who was in like a total of like six scenes across all the movies. Like it's just that he looks cool. Boba Fett's still the coolest looking Star Wars character to me. That's probably true. It, it's kind of like though, you know, it, it, to borrow a wrestling term. I know you're retired from following wrestling, but it's like taking the the lower oh. hard guy and overexposing mm-hmm. him in too high of a spot. Yeah, and then the gimmick just gets a little old, and you're like, "This isn't fun anymore." That's the Boba Fett thing. Like, am I retired wrestling guy now? What's up? Is, am I retired wrestling guy? 
I don't know. We haven't potted about wrestling in a while. I'm not here to pot about wrestling today. So that's the whole thing. So you know how you were phasing out wrestling. Okay, so you remember that. Okay. I do. So I have not watched any wrestling since that. So my last wrestling was SummerSlam. And I remember it was really, really hard for me. And I talked to Samantha about it where I was just like, it's such a big part of my life that I can't half-ass it. Like there's just, I am someone who cannot, like I, I need to know everything about it or nothing about it because I cannot just be one of those people who like Hulu clips raw and smackdown and then yeah, sometimes I mean, watch because i wouldn't have time either yeah right it's the and, it's my, my routine is i watch AEW uh-huh. over the course of like five days of breakfast <laughs> like that's the only way i can do it. i don't have time to do dynamite on a wednesday but right I watch like you know between from wednesday through sunday i'll watch dynamite burn mm-hmm. burn through a little bit of rampage from monday and tuesday to wednesday and then we start the process over and then wwe is usually clips that's yeah. the only way I can make it happen. So yeah, I, if you are all or nothing, you can't be all. You have too much going on. And it just bummed me out. And I told her, like, it just bums me out. And that's something I noticed is that, like, I don't know if you noticed this on Twitter, but, like, the wrestling folks like Sean Ross Sapp and guys like that who are so good at what they do, yeah. they're just only watching wrestling. They don't have time for anything else. Like, they are not watching any other sports. Because if you want to know everything about WWE, AEW, New Japan, Ring of Honor... NXT like there's just so much content and they have just like there's so much stuff out there you're like I would need to know everything and like they don't have time if you're having to watch all these shows and write about them and review them I did the hours like once I did the the outline in my calendar of like my weekly schedule of like how much I would be stretched thin to keep this thing going it was like I just I, I, where am I getting 17 hours? Like where, and that's not even including pay-per-view weeks. Like where are the, I cannot in yeah, good no. faith give them that much time. And I would have to give up other sports in the process and the other sports I just have to keep. So it was, no, it was really it, hard it, on me. It's it the dorkiest thing for me to be hard for that to be that hard on me. No, but I don't know. It's just, it's part of your life. I get it. That's yeah. I mean, I'm a nerd about this stuff too, you know? So I feel you. I just feel bad. Cause there's so many people like you and everyone else that I just, I've potted with about wrestling for years and yeah. I, it's just like, there's it, it, it's funny as it sounds like there's a part of me that's just empty. Like there's just a, there's just a spot where it just, it's, it I bothers mean, I me. Think you got to try the moderation route, man. Don't I can't, force I'm not a moderation guy. Just enjoy I'm, it. Can't do it. I can do that with like NASCAR and like golf yeah. And fishing. Like, so fishing's my out now. Like, I like fishing. Like, I need a hobby. And I was like, all right, I'm getting back into that. I'm okay. fishing. Like, I'm yeah. clearing my head. I need to get away. That's something I'm just having fun. I'm not competing. NASCAR, I don't know what's going on. Hockey, like, I'm a novice. I just like going to games. I don't, I, the, I follow it. The, the NHL needs you, the casual yes. hockey fan. That's what they need. Right. And yeah. that's what I can do. But like, wrestling, I grew up, like, I spent hours and hours of my life on wrestling forums arguing about randy orton's heel work like there's no like i can't be a casual wrestling fan that's yeah, not no, no. it's it's hard. it's, it's over hard. once yeah. you put in those hours like once you go on an i like a, a message board and you spend year like part of your family vacation arguing about wrestling on a message board when you're like 15 years old the chance of you being a casual wrestling fan are out uh, the window mike yeah yeah so all right i get that i get that well you also cover a lot of Texas teams, Mike. That's my so job. Thankfully, yeah. that is your job. <laughs> that Sports is your editor, job. D Magazine. A lot of Dallas in my life. How do you? How is that? Do you like being in a magazine? I do. I mean, now okay. granted, 
a lot, I'm kind of in a hybrid role. A lot mm-hmm. of what you see every day is online. You know, our, our sports vertical is called Strong Side. Mm-hmm. Uh, the magazine's been around for almost 50 years, one of the most prestigious in the U.S. for a city magazine. They never had a sports editor before. I am the first. So nice. it's cool and it's fun uh, because I get to kind of shape everything. You know, mm-hmm. everything that we do, all of our writers, all of our vision, that's stuff that sort of they said, all right, create this, which is daunting, but it helps when you work through the talented people, both in the building and with our writing staff that we have. Uh, so I get to do a lot of that every day. And then I get to dabble with, you know, let's see, I wrote the cover story uh, for February, which is about how Frisco became the most powerful sports suburb in America. Uh, you don't have to hmm. be a Dallas person to really enjoy that one. That's just a whole, this tiny little town somehow marshaled every single Met, you know every single pro sports league uh all all five of the biggest in the united states they got college football to come through they're getting the pg of america's headquarters moved from palm beach to frisco and building like a huh. mega complex oh yeah yeah crazy so i did that i did a wrestling package in april for wrestlemania uh mm-hmm. we'll have a couple more this year for features in addition to kind of small stuff in the front of the book so it's fun, man. It's really more the the balancing of editor Mike versus writer Mike and even mm-hmm. writer Mike versus, you know, short writer Mike versus long writer Mike. Like I have, I you know, I wrote a story for today. I'll have a column for tomorrow for opening day about the Rangers, but I've had a feature that'll probably be 6,000 words I've been chipping away at and I would love to have more time with. So not enough hours in the day, but you get to work with people who are great and they just let me be me. And that's a hard thing to find in media today, man. So I'm, I'm thrilled. Love it. Are you? Do you feel more comfortable as an editor now, or do you still just prefer, if you could, just be a writer? I. It's a good question. I. I got a taste of what it was like not writing much when I was at the Athletic, and I just mm. I could. I really missed it a lot. Um, mm. I need to be writing, and the nice part here is everybody writes and everybody edits. So the expectation mm. you both. Uh, I find it fulfilling in different ways, right? Like I love, you know. Our stars writer uh, is a guy named David Castillo, who I found he, he's just normal dude, works a nine to five. He just decided probably in May last year uh, after like a seven or six year hiatus, he wanted to start writing about the stars again because he wanted more good stars coverage of the world. And he's so good. And like whenever I edit him, I learn so much. And every time that he's you know running on the site, I'm trying to like, you know, I want to promote all of our crew because I have, we have so many talented people. But, you know, with him, he's someone who. People don't know about it yet. I'm just like, you got to read this guy. And I, you know, it takes so much pride whenever somebody's like, oh my God, who is this dude? He's so smart about the Dallas Stars. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, what's cool is that, you know, our owner sort of, we're, we're one of the last family owned magazines out there, which I think mm-hmm. is a very, very big part of why our culture is so cool at this company. And our owner, the wonderful Christine Allison, you know, she puts it, she's like, look, you are conducting the orchestra and you're the first chair violinist. And it is very fun on a day when Porzingis gets traded, for instance at the NBA trade day line, we have a deep Mavs bench and several of us wrote things. But uh, when that went down, it is nice to be the boss and to say, I'm writing a column and I'm writing it right now. And I'm doing the first thing that we see out of this because I've missed having something to say, or, Mm -hmm. you know, um, gosh, last year, I mean, just having the time and the freedom to, you know, Jason Witten is coaching high school football at a tiny private school, 40 minutes North of Dallas. Oh, I know this. Yeah. I reached out. So, right. So I was like, well, why a bunch of people went there along with me for media day, but nobody really asked like, why are you doing this? Why did you go from the most high profile broadcast job in America in your first retirement to doing this? And so it's nice to be like, okay, well, I want to write that feature. I'm going to write that feature. So I, you know, I, I love doing both. Uh, I feel in Nashville. 
What's that? He's coaching a private school, small private school in Nashville. Dilford. His brother does, right? No, Dilford does. Trent. Oh, Dilford, Dilford, Dilford. Yeah, yeah. 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 Some of these guys are all over. John Kittness coaching. Yeah. But, you know, he's yeah. outside. He's a couple places in Texas. A lot of dudes are doing this. That's the new trend. Yeah, yeah. And I think, like, with Whitney, he's probably going to college at some point. A large part mm. of it is – some of it is his kids being there. I think some of it is larger family dynamics of his grandfather's his hero. And he hmm. just sort of imagined that this would be his life. I think – I mean, he's one of those dudes. You hear people say, oh, I never imagined I'd be in the NFL. I actually believe it with him. Like, I really think he huh. did not ever imagine – this would be his life. He really did think, you know, along with his college or his high school sweetheart who he married, his wife, Michelle, mm-hmm. the whole thought was she was going to be a nurse and he was to be a high school football coach. And she was a huh. nurse in ERs in Dallas for a very long time during his playing career, actually. And like did hmm. not play up who she was, which is really cool. Of her. But he really just thought this was going to be his life. And now he's kind of doing that as his kids grow up a bit. And I bet he'll probably coach higher at a higher level. The dude is so connected and smart, but yeah, so I don't know. I mean, what do I like more? I, I feel like I I don't know if I, I would want to do just one or the other. I think with writing, there are hours in the day when I want to be able to write more than I do. But then you go and when I'm writing, then I, I'm excited to dive back in the editing and say, okay, well, you know, we're writing this thing for tomorrow and people aren't ready for what we're about to drop. You know, we're going to do something yeah. really cool that somebody hasn't seen yet. So it's all fun, man. I get a, I don't like being put in a box. That's, that's my whole career has been about not being put in a box. And here there is no box. And I love that. Maybe that's why we connect. We understand. Like we're not inside right. the box guys. We no, are. No, no. Yeah. And, and that's why, and I mean, you, you get it too, of the whole struggle of the generalist of, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's weird to me. It, I will never understand why in today's shrinking media economy, so many people think like so many employers think, Oh, well, if we have fewer spots, let's just hire a bunch of specialists. No, you should hire a generalist. You should hire people yeah. to do a bunch of things to cover ground. And I was fortunate to be on a crew of that uh, when I was at Vice Sports and you, I know you freelanced for us. Yeah. Like, we all did everything and it was the mm-hmm. best work environment I ever had. And I thought that was the future. And I feel like the only reason it isn't is a lot of companies are just insecure about we, you know, being afraid to build stars and build social media platforms for people. And they want the quick fix because everybody's afraid of bottom lines. And so that happens. Then you just hire people who, you know, have a built-in audience, which generally comes from you being a specialist, which is understandable, yeah. right? If you cover one thing, it's easier versus people like us, although you've got to go for it. Um, yeah. It takes but, time though. It, it takes a lot so, of time. You know, I, I think I would like to think inevitably that more people will hire more and more wider ranging talents, if not national, then at the very least local. Like I think yeah. in a lot of ways, the future is kind of what the athletics started before they kind of pivoted more towards a national model. And what we're doing here in Dallas and what, you know, you see companies like DMVR who, you know, was mm-hmm. expanded to Phoenix and Chicago. Like there that's is what's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. They're doing stuff that's super awesome. You know, I think they have a different type of voice than we do, but I look at what they're doing and, you know, Adam Mars, who's high up in that company is yeah. great. Now it gets mine. Like Adam Fontia over there in Diamondbacks. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, they got yeah. a lot of smart people and they're doing it the right way. And I think that I, I could see more and more of, and within that, why can't you have people who are columnists or feature writers writing about stuff within a city, you know? Yeah. You just don't have those. Like the general columnist is kind of just faded away. Like it's just, and that's and the nice actually, thing I get to, I get to kind of be that for us. You know? Yeah. When I, when I have time and I'm not editing too many things. <laughs> it bums me out though. Where like when I hear people, like when Zach Lowe talks about like being a Mets fan growing up and having yeah. all this other stuff. And then it's like, all I do is NBA all the time. And then I don't right. keep up with anything else. That bums me out. Like that, yeah. that's what most people do. And I'm like, I don't ever want to be that. It just seems like I like all these other sports. I want to write about and keep up with different stuff. I would just, 
That's not me. I, I just, I feel I bad. Get, I get bored when it happens to me. Yes. I'm doing the same thing for too long. Like I think the limit of my attention span on one thing is if I am writing a really long feature. And I've written a lot mm. of really long features, but like, you know, people invariably ask like, do you want to write a book? Like my wife actually, mm. I think she likes the idea of me writing a book until I would actually write the book and the amount of time commitment it would take. But man, I don't know if I want to do two years on something. That seems a lot, like a lot. Yes. You know, maybe if I was, you know, one of those people like we're talking about who did one sport, I could see it. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, man. I, I like doing like John Grisham's built like that. He he wakes up at eight o'clock or he goes in the, the back area. He I remember he described it and he writes from eight to twelve and he does his thing and he already knows what he's going to write about. And he writes the same. So I love John Grisham. So this is not a shot, but it's just he has a routine and he has like a that works for him. That's his process. It, it just works. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I couldn't do that. Like that would drive me no, nuts. No. You want to talk some sports? I guess we should, right? At some yeah, point. Maybe. That's what the people are here yeah. for. Um, allegedly, allegedly, um, Mike, Luka Doncic yeah. and the Dallas Mavericks are having an insane season. Like Chris Stapps is now a Washington wizard. You bring in Spencer Dibwitty. This just, what has happened with Luka down the stretch here? And did you see any of this coming with the Mavericks at this point? Well, to start with Luca, and look, this is something that's been widely scrutinized here. It's been scrutinized nationally. Luca's talked about it. Like, it helps that Luca is in shape now. He mm-hmm. did not come to the season in shape. He played his way into it really when he, you know, he had a long hiatus between an ankle injury and a COVID diagnosis, and he came back and he just he looked a lot better. So that's part mm-hmm. of it. Now, listen, Luca out of shape was still playing really good ball and better than all but what 15 guys in the league at most. So it's a special talent. I think what's happened since the Porzingis trade is it's just it frees them up to do what is best for them which is really just with this roster what's best for them is what's best for Luka they don't have the gap between Luka Doncic to the second best Dallas Maverick is uh gosh if you're looking at Western Conference teams (laughs) it's probably the widest of anybody other than maybe Denver and that's from Jokic and that's only because Jamal Murray and Michael Porter have not played mostly Mm -hmm. so uh the thing with Porzingis and Jason Kidd deserves a lot of credit for this and look if if you're asking me what surprised me about this team Far and away, what surprised me the most is Jason Kidd being as good as he's been. Nobody hmm. saw this coming, but Jason Kidd has been phenomenal for this team. And what Jason did for a lot of the year with Porzingis, understandably so, is for as long as Porzingis was in Dallas, that was the best chance they had at a second star, right? I'm not breaking mm-hmm. any news here. And by the end of the Rick Carlisle era, uh, Porzingis' confidence was just shattered. They were using him as a spot-up decoy in the quarter in that seven-game series against the Clippers. Uh, mm-hmm. That's not what you want to do for a dude making $35 mil annually, right? So a lot of the early going of this year was we have to kind of build Porzingis back up and we have to build him back in the flow of, hey, you can do multiple things. And this is a guy who, when Luca's not at his best or when Luca's not on the floor, or even when he is, you're playing good teams, it's the only other guy you could depend on to carry your offense. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot more mid-range things, a lot more post-up things, which scared people early on. But kids' philosophy is really just, look, a lot of the regular season is just – a lab to see what works in the playoffs because it's a different game of the playoffs. We know that we're going to need some more slow down concepts. Porzingis can do those things. Let's free him up to do that. Well, a couple things happened. One, Jalen Brunson took a jump. Jalen Brunson mm-hmm. went from, you know, two years ago, nice bench piece. Last year it was, okay, that's your fourth guard. Like I, I said, so I'm, you know, in addition to what I do at D, I co-host 77 minutes in heaven, the athletics Mavericks podcast with the great Tim Cato. Uh, and we would talk about this, and I would say often, look, I think Jalen Brunson, if he's your third guard, then you're doing great. That was last yeah. year. Then you go to this year, and Jalen Brunson looks like a legit starting point guard. 
And we've done a lot mm-hmm. of work at this ND, uh, one of our Mavs writers, the great Istok Franco. If you Google his name and, uh, and I'll have to spell how to, you know, his name mm-hmm. is from Slovenia. He's got a, a name we don't see often here, but the guy's brilliant. And he wrote about how basically if, you know, he would ask the question early in the year, hey, Mavs fans, would you feel better if you had Fred Van Vliet playing next mm-hmm. to you? Because guess what? Jalen Brunson early in year four tracked very similarly numbers-wise to what Fred Van Vliet was doing. Different players. Fred's probably a better athlete. Fred's a better defender. But Brunson just came into his own as this guy who can create offense, who is super savvy uh, in mid-range and getting buckets. And he knows how to play with Doncic. He knows how to play off of him. He knows when he needs to initiate. They do a lot more things with Luka kind of coming off as a spot-up shooter, which they never did the first few years. Um, so this happens, right, to where you have another outlet who more and more it wasn't necessarily Porzingis as the second guy you look to uh, to run that offense or to take over offensively after Luka. It was Jalen Brunson. And mm-hmm. the second thing that happened, I, which is a subset of Christoph Porzingis, is Christoph Porzingis kept getting hurt. And as much as – he tantalizes and he's looked great in Washington, right? He has not mm. been slumming it whatsoever, but you just don't know what he's on the floor. And when he's on the floor, what works best for him doesn't necessarily work best with Luca. I think mm-hmm. everybody, myself included, when they brought him in three years ago, thought this is the evolutionary uh, Nowitzki, Jason Terry, two man game. That this would just mm-hmm. be Luca, Porzingis, pick and pop until they're old and gray, count the rings. This is going to be great. And it just didn't work. I don't know if anybody knows why it didn't work, but they just never gelled in that way. So they trade Porzingis. And even if you got two role players back who you just knew would be on the floor every night, in some ways that's almost a wash. Even if nobody mm-hmm. thought Spencer Dinwiddie would be close to what he is, just because you knew they'd be out there. But you get Spencer Dinwiddie and suddenly you have two secondary ball handlers to play with Doncic, who each do different things. Like Dinwiddie is kind of a, the freight train going downhill, going at the rim athletic in a way that Jalen Brunson isn't. Brunson can get overwhelmed by longer lengthier guys. Dinwiddie, that doesn't happen. So you have two secondary ball handlers, which means at any given moment, even when Luke is resting, you have two guys who can handle the ball. You have Dorian Finney-Smith, who's playing the best ball of his career, who got a nice extension, and deservedly so, for growing into one of the league's really good 3D players. Uh, and the D was always there, especially the versatility. But he is shooting so much better and more capably from three this season. You have Reggie Bullock, who started off slow. Like, he does a lot of years. There's a lot of panic down here with Reggie Bullock. And then after Christmas, he's just Reggie Bullock. He hits threes. He plays great defense. So you have two 3D guys. They go back to playing one big on the floor without Porzingis, and that was huge because they played a lot of two big lineups with Porzingis because they didn't want him to be beat up in the post all the time. But in a Luka Doncic system, you want space. So you mm-hmm. have a secondary ball handler. You have two 3D wings. You have one big, whether that's Dwight Powell, who's – back to where he was before he tore his Achilles as far as a rim runner who's great at it, uh, passer out of the short pick and roll, or you have Maxi Kleba who is just superb defensively. The jump shot mm-hmm. has been a giant problem the last two months, and that's gonna that could kill him in a playoff series, but superb defensively. And you put those five guys out there, and you just let Luka do things, and it's fun. There's a ceiling to this. This isn't going to win you a title, but mm-hmm. they play well together. The vibes are a lot better with Kid than where they were at the end of the Carlisle era. For as brilliant as Rick Carlisle is as a coach, and he is brilliant, uh, just he'd been there a long time. He's not, you know, th- this is not a happy-go-lucky guy. I don't think mm-hmm. anybody would, would ever accuse Rick of that. And they needed a change, and Kid provided it. He's not and happy he, today either. What's that? If you saw, he's not been very happy today either. Had to dismiss the claims that he's moving to the front office and uh, that he's not up for a rebuild. He's like, no, I'm coaching. I'm coaching until I die. <laughs> So you have all those things, and it's just a team that it's just fun. 
It's a really yeah. fun team. And this Luca's been fun. I think the first, you know, Luca's second season was fun. Um, but really the last year and a half hadn't been. And now it's fun again. And again, it's a ceiling. I don't think they're going to go necessarily super far in the playoffs, but they could just because they know who they are. All the role players do the things role players should do. And you have a guy who, look, if you're ever going to pit- predict someone to just go LeBron in 2007 and win you two series, you shouldn't win just because he's taking the next leap. Could be Luka. Mm-hmm. Possible. Well, they're at the four seed right now and they're in a prime position. Like you want Utah in round one. Like that yeah. is absolutely what you want. And yes. Luca against this group, like that is absolutely what you want. So, I mean, and then you get Luca in round two, potentially against the the Suns. Like that would just be Luca versus Booker and Paul, like Luca and Brunson versus Paul and Booker would just be would be a lot of fun, right? Like that, I mean, the Suns probably win that series, but that would just yeah, be a six yeah, or seven yeah. game series. That would be a bloodbath. It would be, I mean, so this Phoenix has owned them for, I'm not even kidding, five years. Yeah. Like back when they both sucked, Phoenix still <laughs> owned this team. I don't know why. My wife is actually a diehard Suns fan. Huge oh no. Suns fan. She gives me endless amounts of shit about this all the time. Yeah. Just look, look what the Phoenix Suns are doing to your city. Look what the Phoenix mm-hmm. Suns are doing to the basketball team that you pay attention to and you cover. You mm-hmm. know, Phoenix Suns are winning a title. She is... She's on one. She's been on one all year. Um, right. The, look, the platonic ideal for the Mavs is they get to the three and Utah drops to the six. And then mm-hmm. you're dealing with Memphis in the second round, who they Dallas won the season series with. I would absolutely take the core after John Morant over the core of, after Luka Doncic going forward. But for this year, I would take Dallas in a seven-game series over Memphis. I just think they're the more mature team. They know how to play. Luca's the better player. I think Dallas, if they got to the three and they played Memphis and they played Utah the first round, I could see them winning two series. If I actually they, don't even think Memphis is a guarantee to get out of the first round. Like Minnesota is good. Minnesota is almost top 10 in both offensive and defensive efficiency. I want to see with Jackson outside what he has to do with Towns. Like, can Adams play in that series? Well, like, Jaw and Pat Bev, they're going to go at it in that'll that be, series. That'll be fun. Yeah, That's I what mean, I'm saying. I, like, I, I don't Pat know. Bev. I love Pat Bev being a one man shit talking army against an entire roster of shit talkers in Memphis. That'd be, that'd that's be what I'm saying. Like that, that's the series. That's the NBA Twitter series. And I am yeah. not convinced that they get out of that series. I think it, I, they should be favored, but I think it would, that game's, I mean, that series is going seven. I would be shocked if it does not. I just trust Memphis to be more cohesive and have a much better defensive identity. Uh, I mean, and I don't trust necessarily. Who do you trust more in the half court though? Who do you trust more? D'Lo, um, and, and I don't ever Towns, trust I don't trust D'Lo ever. (laughs) I trust D'Lo twice in a seven game series where he's going to win two. Like D'Lo will be good enough to close two of those series, two of those games in that series. I Memphis in the half court is not fun. They are a running gun team. Uh, Friend of the pod, David Thorpe coined them team dynamite um, in a true piece last week. Like it was really good. And I think that was great, but um, yeah, they're just a running gun team. Like the half court stuff. I just don't think the way they're currently constructed is going to be conducive to playoff success. I think this is okay. going to be a wall. I think Memphis runs into a wall and it's not going to be fun. Like when I saw the NBA, are they a finals contender? I'm like, what can we stop? Like, no, not even, no, no, not no. even close. No, 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 no. I, I, I guess in a short series with something like that. And it's funny because Memphis overlaps with Dallas in this way. Mm-hmm. I would bet on Memphis there because Memphis has the best player and Memphis has the best defense, which is why if they're playing Dallas, Wait, Memphis is the best player between in a series with Dallas. No, no, no. With Minnesota. Okay, I, yeah. would, I would trust them against Minnesota. And I'm saying this because it's funny because if 
if you play if you put them against Dallas, what what are Dallas's two great strengths? It's been the defense that has been mm-hmm. having the best player on the floor. And I trust the defense has backed up a bit for Dallas in the last month as the offense has ticked up. Yeah. Uh, but I trust the defensive aptitude of Sean Sweeney, who's the lead assistant there. I trust his his system. I trust that these veterans know how to play. And I trust Luka Doncic a lot more than I trust anybody in Memphis. So that's why I think Dallas would beat Memphis if they got them. But to go up to the three, if you're playing Denver, if I'm Dallas, I want no part of that. I don't want yeah. Nikola Jokic in a seven-game series when Dallas's big man depth chart is two players. Mm-hmm. Don't want that. So I think if you're Dallas, the goal all along, you know, and this team looks different than what it did this, now than it did at the start of the year, but the goal was always win one series. That's the mm-hmm. progress. You play Utah, I think they beat Utah in six tops. I think Utah mm-hmm. wants to fold so badly. I don't think, you know, the last time they beat them, you know, this regular season was two matchups ago. And Rudy Gobert played an unreal fourth quarter. I mean, mm-hmm. he was switching on to Luka towards the end of games, you know, towards the end of the game. It won them that game. He looked great. They're not doing that seven times. That's mm-hmm. not going to happen. Luka Doncic will figure that out and he will carve them up. And Utah's defense is a disaster. I think they'll hate each other. Uh, I think they just kind of want this to be over. And mm-hmm. Luka would absolutely drive a stake in their heart. I have I have no concerns if I'm the Mavericks about winning a series against Utah. I definitely have concerns about Denver. Yeah. Well, that's the we should coin that the Jonathan Sharks bull. And shout out to my dude Sharks over here. Um, what, what is Love you, Sharks. Love you, Sharks. Yeah, there you go. There it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's he had this great piece about like Utah figuring out uh, regular season basketball and pick and roll basketball last year, and like, will we will it work in the postseason? And then obviously he's a Mavs guy, so there you go. the The combination of the team that figured out regular season basketball and doesn't like each other versus the uh, the, the all upside team with Luca. I don't know. Y'all are kind of in the spot that the Hawks were in last year, where we've fallen off, and now it's like no one wants Luca in a seven game series. No one wanted Trey in a seven game series last year when he got hot and things were wrong, where I was like, Oh my God, is this just gonna, he's just getting more powerful with every fan base trolling him. Like it's <laughs> this like, <laughs> well, I mean, it's also though, I mean the supporting cast that they've built around trace. So good. If Luca, whoa, 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 no, it's not. No, it's not. Let me stop you right there, Mike. No, it's not. Compared to what the Mavericks have, that's a much better supporting cast. So Luca had that supporting cast. He would have gotten to the finals last year. Who are you citing here? Is it John? Like, are you a, a, a diehard John Collins guy? Who are you throwing out here? DeAndre Hunter, who plays 23 games, like, and his <laughs> consistent knee soreness? Are you talking about Clint Capella, who hasn't been healthy all year and he's been hit or missed? I'm talking about, about last year's playoff run. Yeah. If Luca were on that team instead of Trey Young, that team gets the finals. Okay. Maybe. When everybody was on the floor together. But yeah, Luca Doncic, who, you know, you yourself, an objective man. Yeah. Trey Young, great player. Not he's not yeah for sure he's the second best player in the draft like there are hawks fans who are still like i don't want to get on that like it's been so long oh it's never gonna it. die it's never gonna die but it's like he's awesome trey has not been oh, the problem yeah, this he's year superb. he's really good he's just not better than luca and that's okay and like that's most guys it, it's not fine for me it's not better than michael jordan but it worked out fine i'll take that i'll take that yeah if- uh quickly on the rangers they yes. did some weird stuff they spent a lot of a lot money of they did a lot of things. Lot of John things. Daniels has been there for 45 years and he's still 37 years old because he got hired as the youngest GM. At, yeah. 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 Um, not calling the shots though anymore. He's got elevated. You got uh, the other, who is the, not Chris Colby, Young. Chris Young. I always want to say Young. Colby Lewis because no, you had no, no, a Colby no. Lewis. The Cobra. Now, yeah. I always want to say Colby Lewis, but it's a uh, Chris Young tall dude. Um, tall. You spend money. 
ALS, you got the Oakland A's who have decided that they have no intention of fielding a professional baseball team in uh, 2022. And then the Angels, they're like, what if we just have an awesome player right next to a double A player uh, (laughs) at every position and see what happens? So bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. And then you have the Mariners just right there in the middle, right there in the middle. And then, of course, the flamethrowing Astros and the favorites, uh, even after losing Carlos Correa. The Rangers are the most hard team to identify now. Like going into the season, today is opening day. I have no clue which way the Rangers are going. I've just become used to the old starting pitching reclamation project that the Rangers have done. Like they've done great work with Mike Miner and Lance Lynn. They're just like, oh, hey, are you old? Are you old and broken down? Come to Texas. We got you. We will fix think you. It's old and broken down. It's a mid career. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. mid career dudes, and that's, that's why true. the John Gray thing is so great. I think John Gray's would be phenomenal for them. He I is because that's what you do. I don't know what it's in the water in Arlington, they, but they're going to they do something. They have a formula. They have exploded that niche, and he's already throwing a different breaker. He looked really good in spring training. He's more talented than all three of those guys. I mean, the guys with huh. four number three pick in the draft. He throws gas. He's a big dude, durable. I think that's a really good signing. Uh, if you want, I guess what you're getting at is you don't know where they're going to be this year. Like, I don't know. Are they the second best team in this division? Or are they still the fourth best team in this division? Like, where are the expectations right now for you? Uh, the expectation is this is year one of a multi-year they're taking this seriously rebuilt, right? Okay. And I wrote, this is my column right after the Simeon signing. You know, the, the first wave of it was Simeon, John Gray, and Cole Calhoun in one year before mm-hmm. they got Seeger. And my thing was, okay, if you're going to spend, because Marcus Simeon, Objectively fantastic player, but also 31 years old in this roster, long way away. If right. you're to spin, you don't do half measures. And that was John Daniels' thing at the deadline. He said this after they traded Joey Gallo last year. It was, there are no more half measures. Mm-hmm. We are going to rebuild. So at first it was, we're going to rebuild. And then the rebuild became, eh, let's just th- let's just go back 20 years and do what the Rangers do and throw a bunch of checks at people. Mm. which can work if you make this a multi-year spending project. And all indications are from what I've heard from talking to people that this, this is year one of at least two years of big spending of big moves. So Mm. this isn't really about this year. This year is laying the foundation for what they're doing going forward. If you're asking me what I'm expecting this year, it's just growth. It's, you Mm. know, last year was miserable. They had no good players at the end of last year because they traded Joey Gallo and they traded Kyle Gibson. who was already falling apart a little bit. That was, there was some smoke and mirrors there. Uh, Mm -hmm. They even traded Ian Kennedy, who would go to the bullpen. There was nothing worth watching at the end of the year. Right now, you have the best middle infield in the American League with Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon. There's Mm -hmm. no better middle infield than that. You have... Shots fired uh, at my guys, Dansby and Ozzy, but we'll continue. I said American League. Oh, American League. Okay. That being said, I still think that Simeon and and Seager are more skins on the wall. I'm an an Ozzy guy. I'm less of a Dansby guy. Um, Mm. You have... Suddenly, this team that had had issues at catcher for a year, they steal Mitch Garver, who per plate appearance is one of the best five-hitting catchers in baseball the last three years. People don't know this mm-hmm. about Mitch Garver. Mitch Garver is real good. They get him for Isaiah Counterfleva, who is in no way part of their plans, and a mid-tier pitching prospect when they are deep in pitching. Mm-hmm. Um, they get John Gray, which is a great move. And then they do some other things, like let's sign some one-year short-term dudes like Garrett Richards, like Greg Holland, um, they get Brad Millen or a dirt cheap two year, which could be a nice little signing for him long term. And we'll flip, you know, they'll flip some guys at the deadline, right? That's what they're going to mm-hmm. do. I don't think they're really expecting to attend. I think I talked to, I have a series over at D called Vibe Check, where I talked to somebody who's a broadcaster for each of the teams. Um, Jared mm-hmm. Sandler, who's a buddy of mine, pregame host for the, and postgame host for the Rangers. 
uh, he's my Rangers vibe check dude. And I said, what's the expectation this year? And he put it well. He said, look, I think you just want to be playing some meaningful baseball by the, by the trade deadline. That's progress, you know, and beyond that you want it. They have the Rangers hilariously enough. If you don't pay attention to them and God knows you don't necessarily have to for most of the time, but Mm -hmm. the Rangers have very sneakily transformed into the team that has tons of pitching depth on the farm and now plays at a huge pitcher's park. It ain't the old, yeah, let's, let's bash our way and find 34 year old veterans and hope that that makes the playoffs in, you know, the old globe life park in Arlington deal. Now this is a pitching organization right now. And so the goal for them is, you know, John Gray, even if my lofty expectations are not going to be realized, John Gray, if nothing else is a third starter, he'll be there. Mm-hmm. I think Dane Dunning's a fourth starter. At least he's going to be there. And then you have a handful of interesting guys in the bigs, like a Spencer Howard, who's a huge prospect for Philly that they got at the deadline last year. Taylor Hurd, who's six foot seven lefty, who throws gas. Maybe he's something. Uh, Glenn Otto, they get in the Gallo deal. But then you go to the farm, and everybody knows Jack Leiter. Jack Leiter is mm-hmm. the thing that everybody's excited about. But Cole wins ahead of him. He should be a good big league pitcher. There's a dude named Owen White who has a fascinating story. Owen White had been drafted at high school three or four years ago. Didn't play for a really long time between – out of high school, it was, hey, your draft year, let's shut you down a little bit. Let's not overwork your arm. Then he gets mm-hmm. TJ. Then the pandemic happens. Then he has a setback. He doesn't start pitching until last year. But that guy has gas. That guy has disgusting stuff. He was the best prospect in the Arizona Fall League this year. He was, I think, the MVP of the All-Star game in the NFL. Uh, you have a dude named Ricky Venasco who throws smoke. Another guy named Tacoa Roby. They have lots of pitching. Lots mm-hmm. of pitching. So if you're the Rangers this year, it's – Whatever, be competitive. I'm not expecting anything other than you're not going to hate watching this team play like you did last year. And the pitch baby steps, baby steps, but they were miserable last year. They were awful at everything. This year, you have three really good hitters uh, in Seeger, Simeon Garver. I think Nate Lowe is going to take a step forward at first base. I think he's a solid player who has a chance hmm. to get more than that. Uh, so you got, you just want to identify some lineup building blocks. And then with the pitching, you wanted to see which of these guys come to fruition. And if you ask me, gun on my head, where do I think they finish? Probably fourth. Hmm. But uh, I could see next year. I could see this being a scenario where they spend big next offseason again, and they could be buying and selling at the same time. They'll have these veterans they'll sell off. You know, last year textbook example: Ian Kennedy, get him off the screen. Yeah. Ian Kennedy hasn't been useful in seven years. Well, Ian Kennedy puts in forty good big leagues in big league innings. That's enough to package him in the deal with Gibson to get Spencer Howard to come back for Philly. I right. know that they would love Greg Holland to be that or Matt Bush to be that, right? They are not – oh, there's nobody knows who the closer is right now, and I bet that is a large part because they would like to see one of these veteran dudes step up, look good, move them at the deadline, get something else in the system in what's already a deep system. And then next year it's, okay, be on the fringes of the wild card hunt. I think their year is 24. I think that's the year when they should be really knocking on the door in the playoffs again but we live in an expanded playoff world. So who's to say maybe it's not next year, especially because this front office, ever since Chris Young took over, making really good decisions again. You know, the Rangers were a smart team, you know, in, in the aughts. Then after the two World Series years, it's kind of a mess for a while. They're smart again. They're making good decisions. You know, even the moves that haven't worked out, there's a synthesis behind it. So be, if you have that and you have what is, again, a top 10 farm system just because they have a lot of depth and – you have ownership that suddenly is realizing, hey, we're in a big market again in a new ballpark. We should spend a bunch of money and act like it. You have the recipe for something that's going to be good. Like you have every expectation to believe the Texas Rangers will be good, really good 
to some degree in a couple of years. It just probably isn't right now, and that's okay. There you go. Uh, do you have a master's pick for this week? Uh, I don't. I'm I'm the sort of dude. I Jordan Spieth went to my alma mater, so I'm a Spieth guy. He's my dude. I forgot he went to U. Did he go to USC? No, no, no. Well, high school alma mater, Dallas Jesuit. Oh, I was gonna say you. No, no. So USC. I, mean, my, I was like, I have no. I have teachers who taught him. He was a Texan. Mm-hmm. He went to UT. He went to Texas. Um, yeah. But I had you know some same teachers in high school, even though he was way younger than me. My mm-hmm. best friend and his wife taught his brother who played basketball at Brown. Um, hmm. So they know the family a little bit. Smart so, family. What's that? Smart family. What's and athletic family. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, uh, do I have a pick? No, but I'm going to root for Spieth. I, I feel like these days with Jordan, you never know what the short game is going to bring. Um, mm. I'm hoping it's more good than bad. But I'll be that guy who, you know, minimally pays attention to what Tiger does until Sunday. And then I'll flip it on. And whoever's in the leaderboard, I'll pay attention. That's how I roll. Okay. There you yeah. go. Mike Pellucci, how do the good folks check out your work and keep up with the, the great team over there at uh, Dallas Magazine? Yep. You know, my Twitter handle, Mike Likes Sports, all one word. Mm-hmm. Uh, go to D Magazine. You'll see a little tab called Sports. That's us doing great coverage of the big teams, but also anything that's a good local story. I'm a big believer that to do local coverage, you can't just do things that are obvious. So we've done, you know, I've done stories of a former Texas football player who became a, a grapefruit vodka brewer and won Texas Vodka of the Year. Who? I, I did uh, something on Kelvin Beecham, the longtime NFL tackle for yes. Dallas, Arizona, SMU dude, who is like a huge art collector. I went to his art gallery in Dallas. Huh. Uh, we talked about how he just, you know, how that whole thing came to be. And he's very passionate about black art, all kinds of stuff. There, You will find stories here that are off the beaten path and you'll find lots of great stuff about the big teams you want to read about. So come check us out. Uh, we are a wonderful compliment to a lot of already great Dallas sports coverage, but we do our own thing. We do it differently. So that's that. There you go. Mike Pellucci. Always a pleasure. Don't be a stranger. We'll be back. We, won't we don't be. talk. We just proved that we don't talk wrestling to no, do podcast together. I, listen, I've told you, this is what I do, man. And once the Cowboys are back being a soap opera again, I assume we'll be on like every four days. So there you go. <laughs> well, I, I don't NFL season. I don't know how I'm going to do it with the Falcons. Like it's just going to be, it, it, this is going to be the worst Falcon season in my adult life. Are you and, saying you're not expecting Marcus Mariota to be Oregon Marcus Mariota? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. I, it, like if we, the over under should be three, three and a half for uh, the Falcons this season. And I, two and 15 feels right. And with it, the season being longer and just with the dearth of talent, we have the worst roster in foot. Like it, it's, it's dire. Brutal. Like it's it, this is bad. My advice to you, uh, mm-hmm. so this past USC season, before the right. Wiley took over and saved everything, mm-hmm. uh, it was the most miserable USC season I've watched since I was in college 15-plus mm-hmm. years ago. Uh, but they had Drake London, who was phenomenal until he broke his ankle. Uh, yeah, and a cowboy. I, I just really – I tweeted this one time, but this really was my philosophy. The USC games are a lot easier when you just treat him as an infomercial for Drake London winning the Boletnikoff Award. That's it. You just watch Drake London do things and you don't mm. concern yourself with any other outcome and you're fine. You, my friend, the mm. Falcons games are just an infomercial for Kyle Pitts being a superstar. That's it. Watch Kyle. I'm not- sorry. Did you not watch last season where he could uh, here? Can you guess how many touchdown receptions he had last year? Would you like to guess? It, listen, man. Okay. Zero. <laughs> the answer is zero, Mike. The answer is zero because he's not he featured. One of tight end seasons for rookie in history. He, you That's had to watch right. the games. I know you had to watch those games because like it was such a false. It was it, it was a fake. It, it was all fake news. Like it was just it was not a thing like you had to watch it. And I'm telling you, this man was not featured at all. He just 
he was never in the game. He would do a couple little like he had the Buffalo game. He was doing stuff early, but like outside of that, man, I I could I have my notepads. The legal pads don't lie. I can show you the <laughs> I can show you the legal pads. This man was not targeted. It was just I cannot believe he got a thousand yards. That's how good he is. Is that like he yeah. made no impact on any game whatsoever this past year, and he still had a thousand yards. All right, Chase Thomas, thank you for having me. I didn't think we were in with the Falcons. Mike Pellucci. All right. That'll do it for this edition here on the Chase Thomas podcast. Thank you again to Mike and Matt for coming on today's edition of the podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed both of their insights and takes and all that fun stuff. So if you like today's episode of the show and you're not already, make sure you hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or however you get your podcast so that you never miss a future episode. If you're already subscribed and you like this content and you like today's episode, but you haven't uh, written about why, go ahead and leave this show a five-star rating and review on your preferred uh, podcast app of choice. Uh, you can also email this very program at chase thomas podcast at gmail.com. Uh, follow me on Twitter at chase double underscore Thomas. Like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer. Uh, YouTube. Oh, yeah. We're on YouTube. Watch the podcast if you prefer to do that. YouTube.com. Type in the chase thomas podcast. Hit that subscribe button. That easy. That simple. Go ahead and take care of that today. And then, of course, Sports Renaissance Man, the daily newsletter. Yeah sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com type your email never miss a new newsletter coming into your email inbox uh new episode tomorrow go balls uncle derek how'd i do nicely done nephew chase thomas podcast hell yeah